This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, Season 2. It's a radio show and podcast about the goings-on in our region under the new normal. I'm producer Gary Farrow. Sneaky Feelings are a pop-rock band which formed in Dunedin in 1981 and have been with Flying Nun Records since then. Founding member Matthew Bannister, who now lives in Hamilton, has been involved with innumerable other projects too including his latest, an album of songs adorned with the poetry of Emily Dickinson. It's called The Saddest Noise. He speaks to WTS and shares a few songs. Yeah, um, well the title of the album came from one of the poems which I do on the album, which is called The Saddest Noise, The Sweetest Noise, The Maddest Noise That Grows. Um, Emily Dickinson was a 19th century American poetess and um, she was also known as the um, the New England mystic. She grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts, which was a fairly strongly kind of puritanical community in, uh, you know, the eastern United States, you know, sort of middle class, you know, fairly, fairly respectable. Um, and Emily grew up um, she was very well educated, um, and she, she loved reading, you know, the classics and poetry. Um, but as she grew older, she became increasingly reclusive, and um, basically, um, never really, after a certain date, left her house, um, her family home, and lived, you know, basically in the house, and um, lived in her bedroom, and um, very rarely went outside it. In fact, if people would come around to visit her, she would often send them notes, like letters, down from upstairs, and they'd have to read the notes and write notes to her back. Um, so she lived in this very reclusive fashion, and nobody really knew what she was doing. Um, like, it was not well known during her lifetime that, for instance, she was writing poetry. In fact, after her death in 1886, her sisters basically were cleaning out her drawers, suddenly discovered you know, all these hundreds and hundreds of poems written on pieces of paper arranged in a drawer. And it was only at this point that it became kind of widely known. Well, it, it was the start of the process of her becoming widely known as a poet. And eventually those, you know, um, letters, um, poems were, were published. Um, although they were published in extremely kind of edited form because she had quite eccentric habits of the way that she wrote her sentences, the way that she punctuated, etc., was all quite unusual. And it took like maybe, you know, a hundred years for people to actually print the poems probably the way that she intended them to be printed. Um, nevertheless, you know, um, even in their sort of slightly altered form, the poets, the poems were an immediate hit. And that's probably because they're very short and very direct um, and very hard hitting. Um, although she lived a secluded life, her poems are full of quite sort of profound and deep um, meditations on nature and friendship and it has to be said death. Um, there's a lot of death in her poems. Um, 
in that sense, you, you could compare it to someone like who's almost a contemporary, like Edgar Allan Poe, who became famous for sort of writing the first, you know, horror stories as we kind of imagine them today. Um, although she wasn't really a horror writer, she does have some of that kind of gothy American sensibility. That kind of don't know if you've ever seen that film Sleepy Hollow um, with um, Johnny Depp, but it's that kind of vibe, you know, it's sort of late 19th century. American, but also kind of ghostly and sort of very, you know, um, obsessed with kind of death. So I came to her poems because, well, you know, I like poetry and also I like poems that have short lines um, because they're easy to remember. Um, and um, initially I, I learned them because I like them and also because I like to do a meditation and a good way of meditating is to have some kind of text that you can recite in your head when you sort of feel a bit stressed, you know. And so if you memorize poems, then, you know, if you can't get to sleep or something, you just memorize, you just, you know, recite some poems to yourself and it generally kind of calms you down. Um, so that was one reason. But the second thing was, you know, that her poems were um, very song-like. They're all written to this kind of meter, which we would probably recognize as a kind of like a hymn meter. So they all have a kind of basic sort of da dum 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 kind of rhythm to them, which means that they are in a sense, you know, song-like. The only real problem for me as a composer was kind of varying um, the meter, so that the, the, all the songs didn't sound the same. Um, but because, as I said, they are such short lines, it's quite easy to you know sort of approach some of a number of different rhythm rhythms and get quite a range of different musical styles out of them. Um, and so that's what I've done. You know, I took like fourteen or fifteen poems, and I just set them to music. You know, to sort of pop rock music. They're not like classical settings or anything like that. Um, they're sort of in the sort of folk song tradition, I, I would suppose. Um, so they kind of follow up my work in other groups, such as Sneaky Feelings and um, uh, The Changing Same and, and my solo projects, which are done as One Man Bannister, which have also included some adaptations. I Like in the past, I've, I've adapted a couple of Beatles albums and done cover versions of them. I did one of Revolver a few years ago, and um, that sort of created a bit of interest because I sort of, I sort of covered the songs, but I kind of changed, transformed them. I mean, I kept the words and the, and, the, and the melody, but everything else in it, I kind of, you know, uh, the musical style, etc. I kind of mucked, mucked around with even the chords um, just to kind of create a sort of, you know, covers that were sort of a bit more than just straight reproductions of the original, but actually added something new, artistically speaking. So this is the title song from the album. It's called The Saddest Noise, The Sweetest Noise. And I think the poem is about her experience of lying in bed, listening to the dawn, the dawn chorus, which is something that we've all done at some point. You wake up early in the morning and you hear those birds singing. And this is a reflection of her thoughts about those birds and the sound that they make. Saddest noise, the sweetest noise, the maddest noise that grows. Birds they make it in the spring at night's delicious close. Between the March and April line, that magical frontier, beyond which summer 
hesitates almost to heavenly near. It makes us think of all the dead that sauntered with us here. By separation, sorcery may cruelly more dear. It makes us think of what we had and what we now deplore. We almost wish those siren throats would go and sing no more. can break a human heart as quickly as a spear. We wish the ear had not a heart so dangerously near. It makes us think of all the dead that sauntered with us here. By separation, sorcery may cruelly more dear. It makes us think of what we had and what we now deplore. We almost wish those siren throats would go and sing no more. Really see what you mean about the song-like structure of her of her poetry. It almost sounds like it was it was made for it in its form, um, but I guess we aren't to know that that uh, Emily Dickinson would have would have considered that. Well, I mean, she was brought up in the you know the Puritan Puritan church. Presumably, they sang hymns in the churches, and I presume that's where he got she got a lot of the, the rhythmical ideas for her poetry from. It's not clear why she chose to write so many poems in such such similar a meter. I guess you know it was just she found her groove, and so you know um, it became the the vessel in which she was able to pour pour her kind of thoughts and ideas and emotions. Emily Dickinson is obviously um, quite quite far afield. How did you come to know her story and her work originally? I think um, that my wife had a whose who who um, mother is American, um, had quite a range of books around the house, you know, a range of American books, I suppose. One of them was a, uh, um, a book of American poetry. And I picked it up and started reading it. And, um, you know, it was like a compilation one where they have like 20 poems by each, you know, American writer. And... Um, the Emily Dickinson ones were the ones that really caught my eye, and as a song, also as a songwriter and a performer, actually, pop musicians have to remember a lot because, of course, when you play and perform, you're not supposed to have a piece of paper in front of you telling you what to do. So it has to all be in your head. So I think you know, pop musicians are, a, you know, in an interesting, almost unique position in the sense that they are expected to memorize a lot of stuff and be able to reproduce it, you know, as the occasion demands. And which in itself I think is an interesting and useful thing. It's because it's a skill. Yeah, I think you know the folk process, um, which is the process by which people transmit culture to each other through acts of 
you know, speaking or singing, etc., and then other people memorizing what they've said. Um, is is a kind of ritualistic aspect of our culture that has sort of been lost, but you know, maybe it will make a comeback um, um, as times change, and they certainly are changing at the minute. So you know, these kinds of because th- also it's a way of creating community, having you know people that know the same text can, and that can sing the same songs, and it may be that in these times that you know that kind of community making type of activity of say singing together or you know. Um, reciting something together is actually might become quite an important thing again. Yeah, it really might to reattach the community because um, there's been a bit of a um, a bit of a schism that has formed between people. I think from and, and people are going to less gigs now and yeah, um, wanting to to mix less, um, and that is making. Um, uh, yeah, these sort of community pursuits to be even more important. I think so, yeah. I've certainly noticed during COVID that, you know, it was hard to maintain contact with friends. You know, people just tend to drift off into their own spheres. And um, and also because of the divisive nature of some of the arguing that was going on about it, that also had a, quite a strong polarizing effect where groups of people that were formerly thought they all thought the same thing suddenly find themselves at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that music can have a uh, role to play in bringing communities back together again and getting them all to s- sing from the same the same hymn sheet, as they say. And it's interesting looking at the story of Emily Dickinson being very literate at that time uh, in the United States um, set her apart, that she could actually record record her thoughts and record her poetry in in text yeah I mean she was a middle class woman so she would have expected to receive some kind of education but the indications what I've read is that she received a better education than most of her most of her peers and that she was also seen as gifted like a good writer etc but at the same time in the conventional expectation in America for women for what they did was you know pretty restricted they were expected to, you know, basically to, you know, have babies and, you know, look after the f- house, etc. So what she did was um, pretty unorthodox um, by the standards of the time. There would have been some definite pressure on her probably to, you know, find a nice man and get married, but she just wasn't interested. Every account I've read of her says, you know, she was a singular person. You know, she didn't, she didn't play by the rules of the society really. Um, you know, she did her own thing. And she said she said what she thought, and um, as a result, perhaps that was one of the reasons you know that why she was also quite a loner because you know it's if you speak your mind then people don't always want to be around you. Mm. <laughs> I think what, what saved her was that her family were quite supportive, and that actually, if you look at Amherst, Massachusetts, in the nineteenth century, it's quite close to. You know, a lot of places that, like Martha's Vineyard and Amherst, even itself, they've became associated with kind of radical thought in America. You know, a lot of um, certainly in the fifties and sixties, that area of America was known for keep, you know, for harboring a lot of, you know, um, hippies and countercultural types and various kinds of radicals, um, and so. It may have been that that atmosphere was already kind of forming to some degree, because all the, I mean, the weird thing about Puritanism is it's very conformist, but it's also very free thinking. So you you, you know you do get kind of 
eccentrics and crazy people emerging out of it and you know visionaries as too as well as you know the kind of cliche you know version of the puritan and would you like to share another song before the next part of our interview yeah i'll do another one thanks so this one is um called a bird came down the walk and it's sort of um it's a nature poem she wrote quite a few of because perhaps not being you know particularly au fait with humans she, sometimes she seems to get on better with animals she observes animals really closely she loved gardens and you know she loved looking at nature but, but the interesting thing about the poem i think is that um as it, the bird starts off in a fairly you know mundane fashion but as it goes on um first the bird sort of becomes does some quite violent things which birds do, of course. If you've ever seen a thrush, you know, smashing a, a snail, you know that birds aren't just pretty little things. You know that they're killers. Um, and then at the end of the poem, she's trying just to reach out to touch the bird. And uh, at this point, the bird kind of transforms, you know, into this sort of flow of very beautiful, smooth language. Um, and of course, you know, the implication is that the bird has, has, has taken, taken wing, has flown off. So partly the poem is about the kind of extreme contrast between a bird on the ground sort of very jerky and kind of and you know um movements you know sort of um and also quite violent and then this beautiful sort of vision that happens when a bird you know takes a wing and ascends into the sky and i guess maybe that you know it's also about the writing of a poem how you can just take something really ordinary and, and turn it into something beautiful <laughs> came down the walk he did not know i saw he bit an angle worm in half and ate the fellow raw and then he drank a dewdrop from a convenient grass and then stepped sideways to the wall to let a beetle pass he glanced with rapid eyes that hurried all around. They look like frightened beats, I thought. He turned his velvet crown. <coughs> like one in danger, cautious, I offered him a crumb. And he unrolled his feathers And rode him softer home Than oars divide the ocean To silver for a scene Or butterflies off banks of noon Leap plashless as they swim It's quite a, a, a contrast to that um, 
that more gothic imagery that we we heard before, isn't it? So obviously, uh, Emily Dickinson could really perceive uh, the good and the dark in the world. Yeah, um, of course. They're both poems about birds, actually, which is interesting. But but one is very much about the dawn chorus and you know the effect it has on people, and the other one is very much about a specific bird, you know, which she encounters and you know and and which she um, yeah interacts with like a, on a one-on-one sort of basis. Mm. She also wrote poems about snakes and. Uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of her poems tend to have death in the first line, so <laughs> which could be off-putting for some people, I guess. But then you know you could argue that you know death is kind of a subject that's you know um, although people want, don't really want to talk about it, it's kind of a relevant subject <laughs> because it happens to everybody. I think the other thing is you know if you live alone on your lot, live alone a lot, then you're going to think about death because I think that's just part of the reality of of a solitary lifestyle is that you is that you are more preoccupied with with those kinds of thoughts and you know and it's just something that she dealt with but uh you know I, but it's something that we all have to deal with sooner or later so in a way poetry kind of could help people i suppose by making them sort of approach the subject and think about it rather than just sort of as much of our culture does just shoveling it under the carpet and pretending it doesn't exist as i said before um i think that um the themes of her poems, although they're sometimes quite dark, you know, well, you could say, well, we live in dark times, and, and the, the, those are the times when people need to perhaps sometimes look at literature that's a bit confronting um, to make them, you know, think more deeply about their present circumstances. So um, I think her poetry is, is very relevant today. And also, I suppose that. Um, um, just learning a few poems is like it's just like a, a great exercise, you know, um, because it gives you something you can recite at parties if necessary, <laughs> and um, it can just be a useful uh, resource for when you. Uh, I use it as a meditational resource, you know. What if I'm trying to have to calm myself down in a stressful situation? I just recite a little poem in my head, and it usually it just takes you out of the moment, and it allows you to kind of reflect, and it allows you to. Um, by exercising your memory to kind of, you know, get a sort of perspective on sometimes the, you know, horrible immediacy of the world. <laughs> now, you're going to be having the release show for um, The Saddest Noise at the Never Project space. That's correct. So, um, yeah, what what are your plans for that? What, uh, what, what do you think the launch is going to be like? Yeah, good question. Um, Friday, July the 29th uh, at the Never Project space. Um, we've sort of got put a small group together, so it won't just be me playing acoustic. Um, it'll be my my wife Alice, um, who I play with. Uh, she will play bass. Um, I will operate a cajon with my foot. I don't know if you know what a cajon is. It's a little box that you sit on that you, it's like a percussion box. Except my box has a pedal, so that I can sort of go while I'm playing. So mm -hmm. just to give a bit more impetus. And then we just um, uh, recruited a couple of. Um, woman who we sing with in our ukulele singing group um, to do some backing vocals uh, just uh, fill it out a few harmonies and also perhaps a little bit of accordion here and there just to give it a kind of uh, you know a folksy feel like it's inappropriate to me because her, she's a woman poet that you know to have woman musicians you know in some ways that seemed like a uh, a good mix I thought 
but obviously I'm the, the main guy, but I thought I could use a, a female backing band and that would somehow add something to the resonance of the occasion. Mm. And so we're, we're hoping to play in Auckland as well, um, but that will be in August. Would we like to finish on one last song? Oh boy, okay. If, um, if you like. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm just trying to think what it's going to be. Um, well, I could play this one, <clears throat> which is um, actually kind of new. It's not off the album. Um, I wrote it after I'd finished, and I thought, oh, uh, can I include it on the album? But it was too late. Uh, it, was, it already was kind of at the printers. Um, and it's got... Um, it's probably um, more um, of the, at the morbid end, because it's called the title of the is is um called, I felt a funeral in my brain. <laughs> but so I okay, thought the best way to approach it would be to um, um do a quite up tempo kind of version, like a quite a pop poppy version. So you get kind of that nice combination of the sort of up up kind of music, and the sort of very kind of morbid lyrics. And it sort of came out sounding like a Smith song. I thought. Because often the Smiths are a bit like that, you know, sort of quite poppy, happy music. And then you've got these miserable lyrics about, you know, my miserable life. <laughs> so I thought that could work. So it's called, I felt a funeral in my brain. Felt a funeral in my brain, the mourners to and fro Kept treading, treading, till it seemed that sense was breaking through When they all were seated, then a service like a crumb Kept beating, beating, till it seemed my mind was going numb then I heard them lift a box and creak across my soul In those same boots of lead again Till sense began to toll As all the heavens were a bell and being but an ear And I in silence, some strange race wrecked solitary here Then a planking reason broke and I dropped down and down Hit a world at every turn and finished knowing then Then a planking reason broke and I dropped down and down And hit a world at every turn and finished knowing then I felt a funeral in my brain, the mourners to and fro. Fantastic. Matthew, thank you very much. Do you have anything else that you'd <coughs> like to, to share um, regarding the work at the moment? Not really, except because it's 10 o'clock in the morning, my voice is a little bit, was a little bit streaky. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, hopefully well, people will get hear the words anyway. So Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Matthew Bannister, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Gary. Cheers. Well, thanks for inviting me in.
Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikatoa. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.